0: My guest is uh, Andrew Hubbard. He's uh, dialing in from London, and uh, we're talking about his company called AI London. He's the CEO of it. So, Andrew, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for inviting me.
1: I'm very glad to be here.
0: Yeah. So, tell me about AI London. What's the whole premise of the company?
1: We're um, an insurtech company that's uh, in an interesting position of uh, effectively having relaunched ourselves, having had a 25-year history of uh, rolling along with 15 people and half a dozen clients. So over the last two years, we've uh, recognised. Uh, I got involved four years ago. Uh, we recognised that the sleepy old insurance market was waking up to the idea that customers of all ages wanted to engage with insurance companies uh, in a digital fashion. Uh, my background is in digital and mobile, and uh, mm. I thought, yeah, this this could be interesting. So. We're about making it uh, easy for life companies, uh, pension companies to move from quite old fashioned systems to a new uh, core to the cloud, as we call it, taking their core ledger system, putting them in the cloud and then giving them a platform from which they can engage with a
0: whole range of new technologies. So what's an example or some examples of the old way of doing things or the current way and how will it be different under your new... uh your new style of running a company.
1: So the old way of doing things was we, uh, as, a, as a guy who used to be head of CRM at a telco company, um, I, you know, i customer centric to the core. To arrive in the world of life insurance providers and find out they didn't actually have customers, they had policies that they sold through banks, was quite 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 a revelation for me. And uh, what we've seen is that those insurers now want to. Deal Direct, so they they they're used to having systems that are big ledger policy administration systems that serve the back office as they call it. So very very oriented towards um, underwriters, claim specialists, and uh, insurance agents. So that back office world uh, isn't able to take advantage of many any if any of the new technologies. So it struggles to get digital or mobile, and it is left dead if it wants to really engage with artificial intelligence or or even blockchain. So we combine the ability to move your core systems into the cloud, give it all the security, rigor, and compliance you need, but then you've got a platform from which you can start to innovate and digitalize.
0: So uh, I would think that the industry's been doing it for a long time, they'd be very resistant to change. It sounds like they're even slower to move than banking. And traditional finance, you know what have you experienced in dealing with uh insurance companies? Are they more resistant or are they readily accepting this change um
1: catastrophic catastrophically resistant they there you, you go to many speeches where they go back to how they formed out of Lloyds of London, and of course the whole industry has a has a has still has a, a a key influence from some uh of the Lloyds of London processes they 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 think ledgers so that's a very straightforward business but it has rounded all the rules of underwriting and compliance which uh, insurers are about risk and they see digital transformation quite understandably as a risky business they see it as engaging with customers where maybe the customers will self-serve some of their own um, administration you know changing addresses or bank accounts or investments there's going to be a risk in that so uh it's it's an understandable level of concern that raises caution that doesn't lend itself to what I saw perhaps in the mobile area, which was um, uh, an enthusiasm, a, a drive for innovation, um, as we've seen for you know, lots of lots of the retail and mobile applications that we now use all the time. So that's that's been the, the play. To give you some examples of, of where we've seen, uh, where we've been able to pull this off, we're we got engaged with a UK business that um, was looking to uh, grow out of its traditional, um, slightly ageing market, and we co-created with them a social media-driven savings product. For In the UK, we have junior savings products um, called a junior uh, GISA, and I was at a workshop trying to work out how this would play, and we were going through a range of different products and services. And on each of them, we had a checklist. And the first one was, what's the compliance rules? What anti-money laundering? What, no, your client rules do you have to apply? And for the junior ISA, you don't, not surprisingly, because it's a low-level investment. And the kid gets all the money. But I sort of sat up and thought, so anybody can put money into it up to the annual limit. And they went, yeah. So we thought, well, why not launch a product that you could promote on Facebook to all your friends, saying it's little Johnny's birthday next, next week, um, instead of giving in plastic or sugar? Bung some money into his education account. And that's that's that's, that's won awards and uh, had a great impact. So we've uh, seen other players want to launch such shared collect uh, savings products using the power of uh, social media and um, friends and family to boost uh, next generation savings where a lot of people have a, a, a common interest in um, investing in that benefactor. Uh, beneficiaries. So um,
0: that's that's one example.
1: Does that make sense to you, Richard?
0: Yeah, that's it's. I mean, it, it sounds like a great idea. So that's over in uh, in Europe only, or is that in the U.S.? Where do you where well, do you operate? It,
1: well, we operate globally. Uh, we um, have a similar product that we promoted in Kenya. So that's that's UK, and it takes advantage of the UK uh, savings. So we have investigated the U.S. market and. You have a certain fragmentation because some insurance rules are dictated at state level, so that can make uh, launches for foreign companies like us complex. Um, but uh, there are lots of uh, most most jurisdictions have a child saving product. In Kenya, there's a nice twist on it where they've used the same technology to launch an education, uh, Ilimboboro, product that allows um, communities, uh, villages, in, in essence. To save for um, educational purposes, so that to, to, to enable perhaps the top performer in the local school to go on to uh, further education. Um, but that's taking advantage of you've got confidence when the money is stored and you know the details around it are accurate and reliable, yet you're using the flexibility and transparency of a social media channel so that everyone can see who's putting the money in a bit like um, a charity. Savings, you know, just giving—that's that sort of idea. So, but for um, junior savings products.
0: Oh, so where do you see the um, the biggest sticking points for the insurance industry? Where are they really hurting themselves by not uh, being open to adopting, you know, blockchain technology or at least uh, you know cloud computing and storage? You know, ideally, if they would just listen to you, what would you want them uh, to work I, on and why? What yeah. do you think will be most impactful?
1: <laughs> I think I think the most impactful thing is that um, there was a recent. McKinsey report this summer around the, 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 the pressures facing European insurers. And I think this is a global problem. That they, they face two core problems. They have got to save money. They have got to reduce the cost of operation, the cost to serve. And a big part of that is their aging IT, which as you can imagine, most of them run it um, in house. So they have data centres that they're funding and staff that they're funding in them. And they are Inflexible, So they uh, sometimes become non-compliant because there's not the appropriate support for those systems. So it's an expensive, in-agile world. And the other thing that they have to do, uh, which we entirely back and McKinsey agrees with, they've got to innovate. So they've got rigid, expensive systems at a time when they've got to reduce cost. And they've got to innovate around the areas you described using um Cloud computing to reduce the cost, but also give you more flexibility. The irony is it gives them a win-win. They can both do more stuff
0: and do it cheaper. What technologies have you seen that the insurance industry is most resistant to, and which ones is it open to adopting?
1: I think, okay, let's take those. That's a great question, Richard. Let's take those in two areas. First of all, what when they see it and they see it proven, do they grab? I think that's the move from core systems, back office systems uh, in agile. Um, aging, expensive, and moving those to the cloud. So core to the cloud. They're, they're like, I, it really is as good as it was on the core and better and more flexible. So, and, and we often do it as a, at a uh, dramatically reduced cost envelope. So they're ad- achieving greater flexibility at lower cost. When they see that and they see it's proven and their techie guys crash to the ground with vulnerability testing and performance testing and security testing and it passes. And often it passes better than their core systems. And they start to look at broader adoption of that. That they struggle with uh, two areas that, that, that you and I, you know, feel will have their day. Blockchain is 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 so attractive to insurers because when they get that it's a ledger technology, they're thinking, We're a ledger industry. <laughs> we we record our contracts here and our debts there. You know, they they get that. The challenge, we, 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 so we, we had a, a big blockchain initiative two years ago, and I'll, I'll explain at the end of this where we ended up. The challenge we have in blockchain at the moment is there, there are very complicated, connected processes around an insured product that need lots of processing. And blockchain starts to not become um, most effective way to manage a complex set of business processes, underwriting, claims authentication of claims,
0: um, payments of... Is it because it's not fast enough? Is it because the no, security speed trade-off is too great, or what is it?
1: Just just there isn't a the development the environment to, to give you that level of functionality in blockchain. It's good at storing, and then it's good at storing for a short period of time where the actors and actions on the blockchain are fairly straightforward. So we've we've ended up in a position, and there are a few other players in, this, in, our, in our market, where the current application of blockchain works very well, we feel, for ultra-short-term um, insurance purposes. So where, the example we have built, floated around the industry, is Flight Assure, where at the gate, you take out a policy, super cheap, maybe $1 from New York to San Francisco. Um, you take it out, and it's triggered by the flight taking off and closed when the flight lands. And the flight not landing triggers another more... Manual process to then explore what needs, you know, what, what what has to happen, and uh, if any um, debts are due. So that that paint a picture from a blockchain point of view that it it's good if you've got a simple transaction that has a, a clear set of um, rules that then happen over a short period of time. But insurance, you'd be making any, any longer term insurance, you'd be you'd be making premium payments into it, regular payments. Um, each of those would have to be administered and there'd be a cost. But also you might be making decisions about the product and the risk of the product, which equally would need to be factored in. And the truth is that there are applications that are quite well established that don't cost a lot, that do all of that quite well today. So um, we see that that will change as the blockchain development environment uh, matures. But today, ultra-short-term policies seems to be the best use.
0: Is there any way to still use blockchain but keep you know, most of the systems running in the cloud but blockchain just secures them so that uh, you know, for security and compliance, the whole system can run?
1: I, I, I can see technically the attraction of that. My, my barrier, not my barrier, but the barrier I see amongst the uh, insurers is there's a, a lot of sensible applications of blockchain would need industry-wide collaboration to determine the security protocols, for example. And that's a a challenge. The insurers don't tend to work together on long-term protection and investment products in that way. They work together well, and indeed, regulators and governments help them define standards in transaction-based finance. So, share trading, uh, bank account interfaces, open banking. So, we haven't got open insurers. That's a long way down the track. So, any collaborative use, I'm, I'm not seeing any uptake for that. I do, however, see that there, there, is, a, there is interest where the contract for an insured uh, life could be stored in, in cheaply, efficiently, and very securely in blockchain. That's an interesting view where the blockchain simply acts as the, the almost replaces the paper contract that, that, that previously existed. That's 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 an area that I I see some of the insurers uh, considering, but then they'd be only be using it for you know that would be their they they would only have to worry about that themselves. It wouldn't be something they'd have to liaise industry wide on.
0: So what are the some of the first steps towards transforming the insurance industry and bringing it into the modern world? You know, if there's all these, if there's not a development environment for blockchain yet, you know, what what's the first step? What to do?
1: I think the the, the first step. Um, and I would say this, wouldn't I, we've played to this, is you you need to experiment. You need to start becoming familiar with the technologies in a secure um, innovation sandbox type environment. We offer a service called AI Lab, which we've set up in uh, government-sponsored innovation sandbox uh, at Here East in the old um, London Olympic Park. It used to be the comms uh, building. And of course, it had such high-powered, sophisticated comms coming into it. (laughs) They they thought they might as well use it for something else, so they turned it into a tech hub. Um, Bizarrely, it combines both InsureTech, FinTech, and SportTech. So we have uh, BT Sport in our building, which is the the UK um, sports broadcaster. So by identifying either internally, I think the challenge that that you you can look at many of the Tier 1, Tier 2 insurers, and they've set up insurance hubs, the challenge they face is getting InsurTech tech, techie partners to work with them. What's the deal in terms of anything they co-create? Does that get owned just by AXA or Allianz or Aviva or uh, The Prue? Or you know, does the uh, tech company have the right to go out and sell it? And I've heard instances where the tech companies go out and take this whizzy tool they've built to another insurer who, when they find out that it's been co-funded by a competitor, throw them out of the room.
0: Sure. Huh,
1: okay. So then, I think in the people well need to think.
0: Gotcha.
1: <laughs> I think people need to think carefully about how they uh, engage with independent innovation hubs, who can introduce them to a variety of players who perhaps will be more accommodating, willing, and helpful. Uh, if they feel a certain distance from the insurer, they're not going to get gobbled up by one of these monster players. But then, of course, a few people have a, an exit game that they might well happy to sell to one player, but I, I, um, I, I'm thinking from the industry point of view, uh, sponsoring independent innovation hubs. I think is the way that they'll crack through these um, barriers of adopting blockchain and AI. Perhaps Richard, we could talk about AI.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if they won't uh, adopt cloud computing, what hope is AI? But maybe you could operate it in the background for them. So, you know, what what are you looking at in that endeavor? Well, the.
1: The beauty from an AI point of view of insurers is they are awash with data. They have historical data. They have, say, a million in, million policies, all with lots of details around what's happening against the policy. And yeah, they are they are in the land of big data. They all believe in the you know the law of big numbers, and they all want the, 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 you know they, 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 there's consolidation. There's um, people buying up closed books, so you get this. You get very large blocks of data. The the, the 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 barrier we've seen over the last 12 months to um, genuine endeavors with AI is GDPR here in Europe, and I'm sure there are similar um, compliance concerns elsewhere, where people are scared stiff about how they use even the data they've got, not sure if they have the right to use it, and indeed not sure what to what purposes they can use it, which AI falls firmly in that camp of it's going to do some complicated stuff to personal details. So I think we're in a, 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 a almost a, a phony war at the moment, where there's a lot of interest in what AI could do, but people are anxious about its adoption, the fear of uh, being um, falling foul of regulatory uh, concerns when people start to see what they're doing with their data. And I think you can see instances of, of that in the uh, elsewhere in the industry uh, with social media networks and, and so on.
0: Well, so, right, insurers are awash in data. They've had it for decades, which is amazing. Um, you know, they use it internally, certainly, for their own actuarial tables, et cetera, their own risk assessment. Um, how do you see AI interfacing with them? Are they going to, you know, jealously guard their data like a snarling dog, but maybe you could use AI to help them somehow? Or uh, do you see their data somehow being anonymized and freed up to be shared amongst insurers?
1: Oh, that's a big, that's a big call. Um, I don't see insurers working together, and I think they are discouraged from working together by their regulators. There's a view that if they did, it would be to the detriment of the consumer. So I think just when that use of large sets of data, and as you point out, it could be in an anonymized fashion to to spot trends and provide better goods and services to to, um, policyholders, that's, that's that's not happening. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a, a bit of a, a loss as to what will be, as some of the big banks are saying at the moment, um, regulatory oversight, and it's how um, stern it is, goes in waves. And I think we're just at the peak of a wave of people feeling, um, as we hear from several of our clients, they're simply not going to launch new products until they feel more comfortable, that uh, they're not 10 years down the line going to be pursued for Mis-selling and some sort of uh, regulatory uh, claim. So the uh, use of AI, I, um, I can see how it could happen, and we'd like to run you know, in, in innovative trials for people, but I can't see collaboration, and I, I can see less and less um, use of, say, public data. Here in the UK, of course, we've got the unbelievably valuable NHS data set, um, which from a life in short's point of view is gold dust, but I can't see that, uh, that the voting public and are going are gonna to allow that to be shared um, in, the, in the near future. So sorry to paint a bleak picture on that, but I, I, um, I, that's how I see it in the industry at the moment. So they're going to have to seek their cost savings in other areas, not not from um, the exploitation of AI. All right. Well,
0: um, so how are you choosing to position your firm and to work work with this industry? I mean, it sounds like you picked a very tough thing. You know, maybe for the uh, the pride of working with like the toughest creature on earth, but uh, you know what's ahead <laughs> for your company for the next six months or a year? How are you going to wrestle the bear?
1: Um, we uh, we are um, making great strides with uh, AI lab that's proving popular. I think this idea that people can come out and dip their toe in the water because um, if we take it away, perhaps we would uh, you and I were we had in mind the, 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 the large data sets that, that would really help drive AI. But if you just want to look at how rules engines might um, help people uh, produce more cost-effective processing for their current activity, I think that's that's what people want to start ex- experimenting with. Uh, they also see that, uh, as I said earlier, this move to the cloud. So we, we see a lot of interest in people wanting to see how, how secure, how agile a cloud offering could be for some of their core policy administration. So we see that. I think, uh, Richard, if I can be candid, we see that as seeing us through right. until the AI question becomes clearer.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, so, what you, you talked about um, making rules for decision making, again, possibly migrating to the cloud. So, you, you know, you talked about the savings club for uh, for kids. You know, how people can contribute to it, which is great. You know, what other products do you have in mind that you could talk about?
1: We um, recently launched, uh, and this this is an example of uh, how Agile you can be, and how rapid a cloud based uh, service can be. We took over a project from uh, another vendor who had spent a couple of years not able to put in a bank assurance distribution network. Um, they contacted us, and just seven weeks later, we had uh, their uh, bank staff in, in their bank client able to raise illustrations and uh, issue contracts. So, one that That has astonished some of the, a lot of the, and when we we tell this tale to other insurers, they're astonished that people can so quickly uh, get a new product out, have it illustrated, issued, and then administered. So I think that's um, quite a dry subject for many, but something that uh, I continue to see insurers sit up and listen. They're they're like, wow, seven weeks. Uh, And then it's like, show us. Another area that we're, Uh, pursuing, you mentioned over the next six months, and this is probably the most important area for us over the next six months, is we see uh, across the industry, and I think there there, there would be examples of this uh, in other countries, we see particular use cases, as you and I would call it, where uh, the one I'm going to refer to is the child trust fund here in the UK. The government came up with an idea that all children should have a savings pot that was available to them when they were 18. Great goal. Mm. And over a uh, few years, six, over 6 million of these were issued. Well, they're now coming up to 16. In fact, in September, the very first uh, policyholders reached the age of 16. And at 16, they can take control of the uh, policy. They can move it to another provider, but they can't take the money out. At 18, they can take the money out. Now, most of them will still only have the original government investment, which is now about um, $1,000 uh, in their account. But you're an 18-year-old, and suddenly you're presented with $1,000. Richard, I'm not sure what you and I would do. Well, I am. I think we'd probably take,
0: take the money. Um, so you blow it. yeah. go out drinking.
1: I, well, I'd, I'd love to grow it, but no, I think, I think I'd have uh, bought something for my car or something.
0: But No, instead what, of growing it, I mean, you'd go out drinking. You'd blow it.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'd reinvest it. Um, so what, what we're seeing is that's a hell of a lot of processing people who've just run a very dormant policy. It's done nothing. Nobody rang up. Nobody did anything. They just earned money for looking after it. Suddenly, they're facing, over the next five to eight years, a whole tsunami of these policies coming through. Some people are going to have thousands of these a day, where, let's say, 90 to 95% of them just want the money. That's a, you know Insurers are going to have to hire uh, offices full of people to process these things. So we're taking our smarts and creating a Uh, imaginatively called ctf maturity platform to uh, automate straight through process as much of that use apps that the um, young adults uh, children originally can use to uh, interface with the with their policy uh, press buttons to make decisions uh, try to encourage them to invest if at all possible but recognize if they want the money we want to do that as efficiently and speedily as possible so we're seeing those sort of use cases occur where we can take our um, agile cloud-based platform and provide a service uh, which people rent, because of course they they only need this for a period of time um,
0: to get them through this
1: uh, administrative challenge.
0: Mm, okay. Well, very good. So, what's the best way for uh, for interested parties to get in touch? We um, we have a web presence
1: which uh, is nice and colourful at uh, www ai london.com. And I'm more than happy for people to contact uh, me directly. Would my details be on your podcast?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can, uh, you you want to point them to a website or uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah. Come come to
1: us through our our website. Um, They can fill in a form and we will be all over them.
0: (laughs) Well, very good, Andrew. Well, thanks for coming. And, uh, you know, as with many things in life, I'm glad that some people are willing to tackle them, you know, tough things like you.